to support the parents, which I know is hard in some cases, especially to support the parents in front of the grandchildren, and to pray up a storm. You know, you might be the only spiritual leader that grandkid has right now. You pray up a storm. You read scripture and you personalize it with your grandson's name in it. You send notes. They love getting mail. You consistently are their advocate. You're for them, not against them. You build them up and you build up their parents because ultimately their parents matter and you all know that. And I respect that sometimes that's hard when your own children have deviated from the way that you've raised them and they're raising your grandkids in a way that you had never imagined. These are hard days. Don't give up. Pray up a storm. Support the parents. Get to know the kids. Be the optimistic person who celebrates every chance you get so that they want to be with you. Welcome to Legacy Grandparenting, the podcast of the Legacy Coalition. I'm Wayne Rice, Conference Director for the Legacy Coalition, and I'm joined by my co-host, John Cologne, Director of Spiritual Development for the Legacy Coalition. Our special guest today is a nationally known speaker and author who will be with us in October for our sixth Legacy Grandparenting Summit, Dr. Kathy Cook. We're going to be talking with Dr. Cook in just a moment, but first, John, any words of wisdom for us today? Well, uh one word of wisdom, but before that, uh, just one frustration. And I was just thinking how frustrating it is when you're trying to find the, remember what your username was and your password prompt. And I would love to have it just say, oh, close enough. I mean, doesn't that frustrate you when you've got so many different yeah, usernames, yeah, email addresses, and uh, passwords? Anyway. No, as we're talking with Kathy the, uh, today, I I was just thinking how I mean, even the Lord says in Proverbs, uh, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. And I was just thinking of, you know, as it relates to popcorn. <laughs> you know, popcorn's popped in the same pot with the same heat, the same oil. And yet the kernels don't pop all at the same time. And I was just, I think it's important to not compare our children to other children. Their, their time to pop will come, you know, sometimes later than we would like, but uh, to be patient. And I'm really eager to hear some of Kathy's responses to our questions today. And uh, she's done a lot of uh, good stuff and given us a lot of great information over these years. And it's great to have her with us. Yeah. So kids are kids are like popcorn. Yeah. That that's what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> they <laughs> all, all right. pop differently. Yeah, well I don't, I just don't think I've ever heard kids compared with popcorn before. So No, I'm sure you haven't. <laughs> They're more dignified, re- you know, responses to something like that. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, John. Um, our special guest today is Dr. Kathy Cook. And it might be helpful for uh, listeners to know that Cook is not spelled Cook like Captain Cook or what you do in the kitchen. It's K-O-C-H, which people invariably mispronounce. Um, (laughs) Isn't that true, uh, Dr. Cook? That's why I go by Dr. Kathy professionally. (laughs) Yeah, well, people uh, mispronounce uh, John Colomb's name. Quite yes, often, they do. Too. Rice is easy. Yeah, but Cologne, <laughs> you, you know, it's cool. easy, Wayne. Kulum or some, you Columbi, know. <laughs> Columbia, Columbine, Columbus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Cook is the founder and CEO of Celebrate Kids, based in Fort Worth, Texas. And she is the co-founder of Ignite the Family, based in Alpharetta, Georgia. She has authored or co-authored a pile of books about raising kids, including Eight Great Smarts, Five to Thrive, Finding Authentic Hope and Wholeness, Start with the Heart, How to Motivate Your Kids to Be Compassionate, Responsible, and Brave, Even When You're Not Around. That is one long book title right there. Uh, (laughs) Screens and Teens, and the one that I just recently read, Resilient Kids, Raising Them to Embrace Life. 
Dr. Cook is a popular speaker at conferences all over the country, and she's a frequent guest on Focus on the Family and other radio broadcasts. She has a Ph.D. in reading and educational psychology from Purdue University, and she has taught at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay, as well as teaching second graders and coaching middle schoolers, which, of course... uh, makes her very near and dear to my heart. Hmm. Dr. Kathy, welcome (laughs) to Legacy Grandparenting. I'm so glad to be here, guys. Thank you very much. Dr. Kathy, we do have some some tough questions (laughs) for you to uh, uh, answer, which we'll get to in a moment. But first, we want to get a little bit acquainted with you by tossing you a few softballs so that you can, uh, you know, hit them out of the park. Okay. So do you mind taking a few quick questions that we call our Legacy Podcast Poll? I'm going to choose to trust you both. (laughs) That is a leap of faith. All right, here we go. Number one, you have a PhD in reading. So tell us about the best book that you have recently read. It's called Juggling Elephants. Have you read it? (laughs) No. no, Isn't that a great title? Yeah. Picture it in your mind. Juggling Elephants, An Easier Way to Get the Most Important Things Done Now. It's an analogy. I, I, I don't like to multitask. I just turned in a book today. It's, uh, it's been overdue, so for the last little bit, I've done very little except write the book. But I need to multitask. I have a ministry to run. So this is a book by uh, John Jones Laughlin, Juggling Elephants, about how to manage the three-ring circus. And all of us have a life that has at least three rings. So it's really a fascinating story about how you figure out, you know, where to go and what to do and what act is worthy of being on main stage, if you will. It's a really fun book. Hmm. And uh, the author is, again? Uh, Jones Laughlin, L-O-F-L-I-N, and Todd Music, M-U-S-I-G. Fun little book. Yeah, just a short little book. Yeah, so it sounds a little bit like a time management uh, book. It, it is. It's a leadership time management. You know, like the, the ringmaster can't be in all three rings at the same time. Hmm. You know, for me, as the you know, president of a ministry with staff and a lot of projects, that was re- relevant. The, the ringmaster never lets an act into the circus that hasn't been vetted and ready. There's always an intermission. Uh, which is actually an important part of the circus. So it's it's a story, and it's, so it's fun to read, but some really good takeaways, just a different way to get us thinking about our lives. And all of us are busy. Grandparents are trying to manage, you know, lots of activities as well. It's not just people in ministry that have a lot going on. I think I think believers who take the Lord seriously are busy people. And so this book this book might be a blessing. And what's the newest book you just turned in? It is called Parent Differently, Raise Kids with Biblical Character That Changes Culture. Wow. So it's biblical character, not just good character. And we want kids who have it so that they can change culture by who they are and what they do. And you got to parent differently. you got to be strong and, and step into the space, be brave, stand up for things. Uh, it's what we need. It's a hard book to write. I'm, I'm really believing that it's going to be a, a blessing to grandparents and parents. Certainly hope so. Good. Yeah, we'll look forward to that. Okay, question number two. Your all-time favorite musical artist or band? It, it, the fact that you want me to name one is just extremely unfortunate. Um, I would say, you know, truly Mary Rice Hopkins for children's music. I've known, <laughs> I've known Mary for 30 years, and I just got to put that out there. Uh, Wayne, have second, you met her? Have you met her? Uh, yeah, I think I have. Uh, secondly, uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, Keith and Kristen Getty. I'm a yeah. huge fan of um, hymns that point to heaven and music, musical excellence. I used to play about 20 instruments. So the excellence that they bring to the stage is remarkable. I'm also a huge fan of Bill and Gloria Gaither and the whole Gaither team. I've been to many Gaither concerts, many concerts with Keith and Kristen. Uh, my brother married one of my best friends. They have, were hugely influential in my uh, faith journey, and they, uh, we all lived in Indiana at the time, they discovered the Gaithers, and uh, their music pointing to heaven, and their harmony, and the richness of the lyrics, and the, the musical excellence, again, those, those, that's where I go, that's what's on, on my radio, if you will. So. And what were the instruments you played? Well, it's a fun question, so viola was my main instrument, 
And, uh, and then I played piano. And I found out when I was an eighth grader that the band would go, my high school band would go to the Rose Bowl parade. But the orchestra wouldn't go. So I figured out I'd have to join the band in order to go to the Rose Bowl parade, but violas aren't allowed in the band. So as a keyboard player, I asked the director if I could just join the percussion section. So when I say turning instruments, it was uh, marimba, glockenspiel, um, <laughs> gong, chimes, tambourine, finger cymbals, woodblock. <laughs> You know, all of the percussion rhythm and uh, keyboard instruments. So it's really very impressive, but it's true. But it was so much fun. All the way through graduate school, um, music has been a really important part of my life. I carried a flag in the marching band. I did not carry uh, any of those instruments. But uh, I look back on it, and music has been a huge part of my life and is a connection uh, for my entire family, multi-generational, all the way to my grandparents. It reminds me a little bit of uh, that that scene out of the movie uh, "Take the Money and Run," you know, where Woody Allen is playing cello in a marching band, you know, and he has to keep uh, moving the yeah, chair, yeah, yeah. you know, along the, <laughs> oh, the that's parade so route. Yeah, it, that's that, so great. Hilarious. Speaking of movies, Kathy, <laughs> oh, uh, what is your favorite yeah. all-time movie? Oh, it's another hard question, but would it be embarrassing if I said it was White Christmas? And and the reason it, it is, and it really is, I mean, I could mention several others, but I watch White Christmas every Christmas with my extended family in the dark with candles only, hot chocolate, and Christmas cookies. It is one of our richest traditions. We sing along. It is so I, it, the movie is the connection to people for me. I'm not really a visual person. I don't tend to spend money or time there traditionally, but... Um, it's White Christmas. It has to. That's the right answer. That's for me. great. It's a great. So. It's a great movie, no doubt about it. Okay, uh, the most interesting person you've ever met. Well, maybe it's you guys, but we just met, so I, I don't know. Um, uh, there are. I've been blessed to meet remarkable people. Uh, I've met amazing moms and dads who inspire me in remarkable ways because of what I see them do. The best, the, the real answer probably would be Kirk and Chelsea Cameron. I've been in two documentary movies with Kirk Cameron. I know um, them well and, and I've met their kids and they fascinate me because they're the real deal. Uh, they are the real deal. We've been to conventions together. We've had meals together. We've um, broken bread together. I've been on Kirk's TV show. It, it, he's the real deal. And I just am encouraged by that. His faith journey is is a is a beautiful testimony to the the fact that God calls us and equips us and delights when we serve Him well. So the real answer probably would be from an interesting person perspective would be Kirk Cameron. Hmm. John, do you know Kirk, Kirk Cameron? Kirk, I don't know him, but I know that Kirk came to the Lord at the church I was helping pastor at E.B. Free Fullerton. That's where yeah. he first yeah. heard the gospel. And uh, boy, he he has maintained his faith, his stamina. I mean, he stands tall and yeah. courageously. Yeah, yeah. I've talked. I've met his mom and talked with his mom, and it's a it's a, just a beautiful family story. So, um, yeah, thank, it's a good question to ask people. I enjoy asking that of people I meet as well. Good. Okay, another question. Uh, the best vacation destination. Oh a, my gosh. A good place to just go and chill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been to 30 countries. So if you ask me for my favorite place, or the prettiest place, the answer would be different. But I think for a vacation, believe it or not, a small lake with a pier and a little rowboat. I grew up vacationing with my extended family, grandparents included, at um, just a small, quiet lake. And it, it, I need to rest. I don't rest well. And so I rest well at a place like that. And I'm a huge believer in the value of memory and tradition. And so I would say for me, uh, a small lake, a quiet lake, a good pier, and a little rowboat. <laughs> yeah, it sounds terrific. Sounds really good. Where, where is that? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, I grew up in Wisconsin, so the one I'm picturing is in uh, central Wisconsin, but there are a lot of places like that around. Yeah, yeah we don't have uh, quite uh, that many lakes around Southern California. We have a few, right, John, You know where we can, you know get away yeah. get a rowboat and all that okay just one more question here and that is the best memory you have of your own grandparents yeah it's really uh it's a great question it's hard yeah, to name great. one um they hosted my brother myself and our four cousins every saturday morning for homemade pancakes 
every Saturday morning when we were in school, um, summers during our college years. Um, I used to live kitty corner behind me. My dad cut a hole in the fence. I just walked. Dave and I walked from one backyard to the other and through the backyard into their house. And then they moved a few blocks away. Um, if I can give you another one, my grandfather was mayor of my city when I was growing up. I have very rich experiences with all four of my grandparents, um, although one passed away when I was young. Um, but Dave and I and all four cousins, we joined, We became a band, um, and it was the most ridiculous combination of instruments you'd ever imagine. And we learned, because the, the middle school junior high band director made arrangements for us of my grandparents' favorite songs, The Waltz You Saved For Me. And we played that at their 50th wedding anniversary at the mayor inaugurational parties. And it, I just um, celebrated my grandparents, best memories. I, I sat, I remember my grandfather debating the platform he would run on. I was privileged to be there. We have got to talk about church and religion in front of our kids. One of the reasons I think we have, you didn't ask me this question, guys, but one of the reasons we have the debate we have in our culture and the anger and the lack of listening is that we have raised generations of children who are not allowed to talk about tough stuff at the kitchen table. And that's been a mistake. We were raised to talk about tough stuff. We were not raised by Christians. We were raised in church. But we, I remember sitting there and my grandfather and my dad and others on the campaign team figuring out what slogan to put on the, on the re-elect Mayor Meyer campaign signs that would be pounded into the ground in front of people's homes. I was, I was rich to be able to observe and to listen to all that. So I, I, my you know, I watched my grandfather be wise. I watched him use words. He was the president of the U.S. Council for Mayors. Um, I watched him use words for good and never for evil, and that's how I was raised. And that's the, really the heritage of my ministry. I founded my ministry on my inheritance financially. Um, in my office, uh, there's a picture of my grandfather giving a speech right above my desk um, because I, I very much wanted to become an influencer like my grandfather. And I'm very, very grateful for the example that all four, but in particular, in particular, my mom's father was to me. What town was that? That was Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, a suburb of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, his name was Mayor Meyer. And the Milwaukee mayor was also Mayor Meyer, uh, spelled differently. Uh, So that's also a kind of a fun story. But it was, uh, he was the first full-time elected paid mayor of the city. It was a big deal. And uh, very proud of him, always will be. All of us in the family look back with fond memories of um, how we were raised by influential people who loved us well. Um, yeah. Good. Well, thanks uh, for answering yeah. the questions in our podcast poll. They rank right up there with the best. Thanks. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but uh, let's talk about your ministry to kids, uh, to parents, to uh, grandparents. You wrote a book with our friend uh, John Stone Street uh, called Eight Great Smarts. And the subtitle is Discover and Nurture Your Child's Intelligences. Uh, Quite honestly, I didn't know there was a plural for the word intelligence, but apparently there is. Uh, Maybe you can uh, talk a little bit about this. What do you mean by Eight Great Smarts? Yeah, first let me say that I am the author of the book and John wrote the foreword. So, yeah, John and I, you know, go way back. I'm a huge fan of the Colson Center. Um, He and his wife, Sarah, saw these intelligences affect their children and their relationship with their children. So him to write the foreword was an easy ask. And uh, so that's why his name is also on the cover. But I am the author of the book, Eight Great Smarts. And uh, there's more than one way to be smart. Um, There's more than one intelligence test, if you will. Um, All of us have all eight. And I'm a huge fan of this because there's way too many adults and children who think they're stupid who don't show up, who don't advance, who don't promote themselves because they believe their brother was the smart one. Um, we all know people who didn't do very well in school but have done very well in life. And we also know people who did really well in school and are not doing well in life. And that's evidence that all eight matter. Um, when we're being word smart, we think with words. We'd love to talk. The three of us would fit into that or we would not be here doing a podcast. Uh, logic smart people think with questions and they... Um, ask and answer questions. They love it when things make sense. Uh, faith can be hard for them, as that, as that would point out. Uh, picture smart people think with their eyes, in pictures and visuals, on paper and in their mind. They're creative. They love history. They love the Bible because they see it come alive. They enjoy fiction and creative writing. And then there's music smart. Obviously, Wayne, this would be you and your family. 
And uh, I would go back to say that that certainly is how I was raised. Music smart people think with rhythms and melodies. And uh, they hum and toe-tap and bebop and make music when they're excited, whether you want them to or not. So it can be uh, irritating. Parents and grandparents love learning about this because it explains a lot of their behavior issues. And then uh, body-smart kids think with movement and touch. They're athletic. They're dancers. They're actors. They build with clay. They love working with their hands. They go to the museum and touch everything, even though they're not supposed to touch anything. So that's an issue. And then nature-smart kids think with patterns. That's how they know it's a bluebird, not a blue jay, or an elm tree, not an elm an oak tree, and they, um, they're good with nature, they're good with uh, spelling. Was is never saw. For a nature-smart kid, they see the pattern and they remember it well. Biology is easier than general science or chemistry for these kids. And then there's two more that are critically important. People-smart people think with other people. We brainstorm, uh, debate well, we, we tend not to argue uh, easily uh, unless we don't have mature character. Uh, but we debate, we collaborate, we read body language well, we adjust, we love sharing what we know with other people. And then the self-smart part of the brain is quiet. The self-smart people, and all of us have all eight, but those of us who are a lot of self-smart, we think deeply inside of ourselves. And we think we're slow because there's never an easy answer to any easy question because it just has to feel right. So when I minister this in school assemblies or you know whatever, parents, homeschool conferences, a lot of, of um, self-smart people come up to me and say, man, I've always felt stupid because it always takes me so long to make up my mind. But self-smart people think and ruminate inside themselves. They keep ideas to themselves. It's harder to parent them. It's harder to grandparent them because they tend to keep ideas to themselves where people, smart people, are quick to share ideas. So that was really quick, but all of us have all eight they work in combination. It has a lot to do with how we can serve, how we can find ministry and career opportunities. It has a lot to do with how we come to faith in Christ. You know, if you know somebody who's music smart, share a song with them and talk about the lyrics. If you know somebody who's picture smart, go to a museum and talk about why Jesus is no longer on the cross, and they'll remember the visual image of that. If the logic smart, have the confidence to ask and answer questions. If they're people smart, you know, have a conversation, nature smart, go to a zoo, talk about, you know, God's creative intent, uh, Genesis 1, 2, 3, etc. So it's been a really, really fun thing. Um, I love sharing it. Appreciate you guys asking the question. Yeah. <clears throat> love it. Yeah. Uh, you know, just for clarification, you, you know, you mentioned that uh, everybody's mm-hmm. got all eight smarts. Um, you know, is it is it our job as as uh, parents and grandparents to cultivate all eight smarts in our kids, or just identify those which are a little bit stronger than others and and kind of fan those into flame? I think we're all you know familiar with like Myers Briggs uh, personality mm-hmm. tests that um, you know we take to find out whether or not we're uh, E or I or T or P or whatever it is. And uh, for example, in what you're describing seems to me like a people smart person would be an E. And uh, no, expert. I'm actually and, maybe uh, maybe not. Um, then may, then the the self smart person would be more of an I, um, a more introspective yeah. kind of person. That's yeah. at least how I'm yeah. interpreting this, but. But, uh, yeah. you know, some people, in my experience anyway, have a little bit more of one smart than another. So do we all have all eight smarts? Yes, amen. And, but maybe they're just buried a little bit or just uh, what do we do? Yeah, those are, those are, oh, those are great questions. Um, let me deal first with extroverted and introverted. Actually, um, you can be a people smart extrovert. So people smart people think with people. Extroverted people get their energy from people. I'm an introvert. I get my energy when I'm alone, but I'm very people smart. So I think with other people. And that can look confusing to people because when they're with me, I'm very people smart, but then let me leave me alone. Don't talk to me at dinner. And so they take me to dinner and they think I'm going to be this really fun person and the introverted part of me kicks in and it's just bad. So <laughs> I have to really be careful of that. But it can be internally confusing. It can actually be difficult in marriage and family relationships. But here's what I think, guys. God creates us in his image. We are completely everything that we need to be for the call upon our lives. And so I believe there's a lot of introverted people who are people smart. And that's how they cope with all the people in their world. And I think there's a lot of extroverted people who crave attention and people who are self-smart because they also need to get away and rest and isolate occasionally because it's actually good for the soul. So that's a fascinating thing that I do address toward the end of my book. 
I do believe God, well, the researcher Howard Gardner would say that all children, all of us, have been created with the capacity to develop all eight. And the earlier they're awakened, the greater the likelihood there'll be a strength for a lifetime. So when grandparents play different games with their kids and go on different trips to the park and read different books and build with clay and laugh over joke books, they are awakening and cultivating each of those intelligences. The greater we, um, the more we pay attention to them, the greater the likelihood that they'll become a strength for a lifetime. Most of us can probably identify two that are not very important to us, but we can use them when we need to. But probably five or six that if we've had a, an eclectic life with a lot of life experiences, we can go back and forth pretty quickly between those, those five or six. Yeah, yeah, that's very helpful. So I like it versus like I'm a fan, you know, Myers-Briggs and other kinds of things like that. There's a place for that, but it can cause us to feel like, well, I'm not that. Well, in, in, in the smarts, you never score a zero per se. You can choose. In, you know, if you're a grandparent and you're you know, very self-smart and you're, and you're introverted to boot, so you crave quiet and you're going to host the grandparents for a weekend, you're stressed before they get there. Because it's going to be loud and it's going to be busy and they're going to expect you to spend time with them. You know what, guys? And you know this. You can pray, oh, Father God, raise my people smart ability. Give me some extroverted strength for three <laughs> days, you know, and I'll give you all the glory for it. And, and we, can, we can go to that part of our mind and that part of our heart and we can please people because that's what, that's what we need to do. Hmm. It's good stuff. Thank that, you. Wow. Absolutely. I'm going to have to get uh, that book as well. Um, uh, Kathy, you wrote another book called uh, Start with the Heart. Uh, it has an interesting as well as long subtitle, How to Motivate Your Kids to Be Compassionate, Responsible, and Brave Even When You're Not Around. And uh, one of the words that kind of caught my eye on that subtitle is the word motivate. Is motivation the goal here as opposed to, um, you know, training or teaching or forcing or coercing or, or whatever. That's, how, what about that word motivate? Yeah. Thanks, John, for holding that up. I appreciate that you, <laughs> yeah. you have the book there. So those are good questions, Wayne. Uh, I wrote the book about motivation partly because there are, there are parents and educators who think that children don't know how to study or don't know how to think or don't care about grades or obedience, but in fact, they care deeply. They just don't know how to do it. So they need to be taught strategies. There are other kids who know how to do it, but choose not to do it. And they need to be motivated. So there's a place for all of it. In fact, there's a chapter in the book where I teach parents to be a teacher, coach, cheerleader, and referee. And uh, for grandparents too, you know, when you're entertaining your kids, even a, you know, short stop for dinner, uh, can I be in two hours a teacher, coach, cheerleader, and referee? And how do I balance all of that out? One of the principles in the motivation book, Start With the Heart, is that it is about your relationship. It's about your heart. Um, you want to you wanna connect with them at a heart level. It's about heart transformation with the Holy Spirit, not behavior management. Because behavior management requires that we're there and we, um, we become the judge and the jury you know, all the time. But we want to transform their heart. I want them to love me so much that they do what's right, even when it's hard. Just like I want them to love God so much. See, love should compel us. Not fear, not information. It should be love. That's how God, God moves because he loves. So I want, I want kids, my nieces, you know, nephew, I want friends, I want colleagues to love well so they're motivated well to be obedient because it honors God and makes life easier. Um, one of the principles I, I share in the book is that everybody's motivated. There's no such thing as a non-motivated child or adult. They're all motivated in either the right or the wrong direction. So the question isn't, how do I get my kid motivated? The question is, how do I turn him around so he'll be motivated for the right things? Because you, you know, there are people who can be motivated for apathy. And that's easy. Yeah. And so when they're apathetic, they feel good about themselves because that's what they wanted to do. Yeah. You know, you can have, you know, have grandkids over for the weekend and they're motivated to not engage with you and it's hell because they don't want to engage with you <laughs> yeah and you're dying inside because your passion would be that they would know you and you would know them and you would be able to be influential for their spiritual life and they're they're choosing 
to step out of that? How do you redirect their motivation and give them a different goal? So that's what a lot of that book is about. Know them well enough that you can transform their goals so that you can minister hope and healing to them. Important book, I think. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. And I love the title, Start with the Heart, because we all know that motivation has to come from inside, not outside, uh, if we're going to get anything accomplished there. Um, You... uh, uh, the title says, How to Motivate Your Kids to Be Compassionate, Responsible, and Brave. Uh, are those kind of the, the three biggies in your estimation? Those three Yeah, kids? good question. Um, compassion, we see hurt and we want to step into that and help. So it's very other-centered. It's very future-focused. Compassion, um, it's not a self-centered, selfish character attribute. It's something that requires me to look beyond myself and I want to be a blessing to someone, a responsible. When I did my research, it was the number one irritation for parents back in the day, children who were irresponsible, children who walked right past a stack of stuff they could have carried upstairs and Mm. didn't seem to care about it. So I chose responsible because I knew that that's what moms and dads were hoping for. And again, that changes family culture. If you have moms, dads, grandkids, kids who are responsible, you all get along better. And there's less arguing and less debate, less finger pointing, less impatience. And then brave, right? we got to be brave to do the right thing right, even when no one's looking. And there might be a burden that we, we have to bear. So brave, do the right thing right. Um, even when you might be teased, uh, don't gossip, even if you're teased for not gossiping. Be brave enough to be right and do right, because God is your audience. Uh, and that's, that's just key, right? And not easy. It's not easy in our culture, but it's essential that, my, that adults are brave, and do the right thing right so that kids have that model in front of them. Yeah. Good stuff. Love it. Thank you. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, your newest book, uh, which is titled Resilient Kids. Uh, your newest book, except for the ones you just turned in, of course. Right. But um, yes, let's sir. talk about uh, resiliency for a minute. How do you define resilient, and why is being resilient something that we need to help our kids and grandkids achieve or attain? Yeah, thanks. Um, I would define resiliency as recovering readily from disappointment, discouragement, grief, trauma, embarrassment, shame, and all, it just, it just depends. Like, what's a big deal to me may not be a big deal to you, and that doesn't matter. It's recovering readily. It's standing back up after we've been knocked down or after we've chosen to sit down because life was hard. I wrote the book because during COVID, I was really discouraged at how many adults and children were defining themselves by what they did not have. They were defining themselves by loss. And I did not want a generation or two of young people growing up more attentive to what they did not have, thinking that they could not do anything to speak into their valley situation. You know, we didn't have a lot of choice back then. Softball seasons were canceled. There wasn't a prom. You couldn't graduate. There wasn't a band concert. And so kids were beginning to feel like it doesn't matter. I can pray all day long. It doesn't matter. God's not going to change his mind. You know, it's a tragedy. We have to be very careful with our kids because we say things like, oh, God is good. And they have memories (laughs) of many prayers. And they still did not get to see grandma. And, And they watch horrible things happen right on their screen, right in front of them live. Looking over dad's shoulder. So they have a very different attitude toward God and life than we did when we were their age. Not their fault. We would very much be like them if we were their age. I believe that. So I wanted to write a book that would help parents not let kids sit down and struggle, but uh, obtain a victory in the midst of struggle. And guys, I also wrote the book because, you know, the scripture, it's so true, right? You know, we learn in Romans, I think it's Romans 5, uh, the first three verses and several other places that our character matures when we walk through the struggle and our faith grows. So when I ask an audience, how many of you have more mature character because of the challenges that you've experienced, almost every hand goes up. And then when I say, how many of you have a deeper faith in the God of the Bible because he's allowed you to experience trauma, every hand goes up. So if we keep rescuing a generation of people and we hover over them and we, you know, we have a drone and we never let them fail because we can't let them fail because then we might look like we're a bad parent. Oh, my goodness. It's not about you. If we never let them fall down and discover the joy and the victory of recovery, they will be weak. 
Why are they dropping out of church and why are they dropping out of faith? Hmm, could it be that they don't know the one true God in a very deep and personal way because mom and dad have handed them everything on the silver platter or preventing the failure because they're so fragile? Well, they're fragile because we prevent failure. I go on and on and on. I appreciate you guys listening to that. I, I, can you hear my passion? It's, it's something that, and when <laughs> oh, yeah. parents and grandparents listen to me, you know, they agree. And then, of course, the book is, all my books are full of strategies. What do you do to change if you have been bubble wrapping your kids? Um, or you, how, do you, how do you change that? These yeah. are challenging days. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love your idea of bubble wrapping kids, which is what a lot of, a lot of parents do, perhaps inadvertently, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, it, it's just overprotecting, which uh, uh, leads to more failure, actually, rather than success. Uh, years ago, I used to teach a, a parenting uh, seminar called Understanding Your Teenager, and one of the principles that we always yes. taught was, was don't handicap your kids by making life too easy for them, because what it did was it really robbed them of the opportunities that they needed to to learn life, important life skills like responsibility and so forth. But anyway, let me just ask you another question here about this. Is it harder for kids to become resilient in today's world as compared with a generation or two ago? You know, were the good old days better uh, for raising, you know, compassionate, self-reliant, right. responsible kids than it, than it is today? I think it is for many people. I think there are many parents today who have had it easy or who have chosen, you know, the because of social media, it's all about comparisonitis and, you know, who has more followers and who has the prettiest, you know, kitchen and, you know, yada, yada. And they try to make everything just perfect. And they it's always the highlight reel. And so we, we tend to hide and, you know, we're not, you no. Know, so I think it's difficult partly because there are a lot of parents today who are struggling with their own, um, their own identity. And that, of course, is then going to transfer into the way that they look at and relate to their own kids. Um, I think the fact that we can see suffering live and regularly um, does influence children's perspective. I think that's real. Um, I've had people say to me, but Kathy, like, you know, our grandparents were raised during the war. That was much more difficult. Well, it was in some respects. Now we have tragedy home. We have dysfunction at home. We have difficulties i know many kids who know foster kids and it breaks their heart we have children eight years old being trafficked we have kids as as young as eight with porn we didn't used to have that so it 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 sears their heart and it warps their perspective and i think it causes them to potentially stop believing in a better day down the road Um, so i think all of that is relevant I, i will also say the distraction like i wrote a book about technology partly because I saw the beliefs and behaviors being changed by technology and not just for the children, but for the parents. And if moms and dads and grandparents, frankly, are on their phones, I've had kids say to me, Dr. Kathy, I want to get to know my grandparents, but they have, they have to watch their six thirty TV show every night. Grandma, grandma, you know, has to game. And like, I honor that and I get that and I understand that, but it's not just about our kids getting off their devices. It's about us prioritizing them so that they feel worthy of our relationship, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm rambling a little bit, but um, I don't think these days are easy. The church has disappointed us. Guys, the church at large is not teaching discipleship. We have people who are drinking water and, you know, eating toast, if you will, and they should be on prime rib and, you know, loaded baked potatoes by now. And so I think the church needs to take some responsibility for not equipping parents to deal with stuff that's real, like gender dysphoria and suicidal tendencies and the dropout rate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. 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 Couldn't agree with you more. Um, Kathy, in your, in your book, uh, Resilient Kids, uh, you devote quite a bit of the book to the whole idea of communication, that how we communicate with our kids, with our grandkids, is really key to building uh, resiliency in our, in our kids and grandkids. What can we do to make sure that our communication is going to be more positive rather than the negative when we're around our grandkids? Yeah, I appreciate that question. I was surprised when I wrote the book that there are two chapters about conversations. That wasn't my intent initially, but I saw that we change beliefs through conversations. 
and it is hard. So for grandparents who are desperate to get to know your grandkids, um, talk in the car. Kids love it because they don't want to look into your eyes all the time. You know, grandparents think that eye contact is respectful, and it often is. But kids say, I don't want to see grandpa's face if he's disappointed in me. Hmm. And, you know, Dr. Kathy, there's a lot of tension when grandma looks at me. And grandma doesn't mean for it to be tension, but it it is because the kids want to please you. So go for a ride, you know, out into the country or, you know, look at skyscrapers if you want to. And uh, and get no devices, no radio and get the kids talking. Kids also love to talk in the dark. You know, if you're privileged to put them to bed, um, hang out in the doorway and just wait because adults, even adults tell me that there's a vulnerability that comes easier when, again, there's, there's dark and less eye contact. Go for a walk and kick a rock and they'll talk to you. Boys always talk more when they're busy. So if you want to have a conversation with the grandson, again, kids, grand girls can handle the kitchen table interrogation a little bit better. <laughs> But boys, and this is true for men as well. This is in your DNA. You talk more when you're busy. So sweep out the garage. Um, work on a jigsaw puzzle. My family grew up with jigsaw puzzles almost always on a table in the corner of the living room. You'd sit down, do a piece. Somebody else joins you, does a piece. 30 minutes later, you're all there. And your eyes are down. You're looking for the yellow piece. And then you say, hey, hey, Grandpa, this thing happened at school the other day. And all of a sudden they're talking to you because they're distracted and their, their brain can be freer. So I think those, those kinds of ideas are important. Um, I would also say um, kids don't necessarily like being interrogated, uh, and they use that word. So if you have a grandchild who's um, kind enough to want to share a story with you, you know, Grandpa, this thing happened at school, and then they share a little bit and then they stop talking, you know, our tendency is to ask questions, right? Well, what happened next? And who was there? And what did the teacher say? But then we force the child to go to a part of the story that maybe wasn't relevant. And it's not about us getting information that we think is valuable. It's about the kid feeling heard in the moment. So we just try to be quiet. Oh, my gosh. It's so hard. And wait for the grandson or granddaughter to keep talking. Sometimes it works really well to say, and... (laughs) Or, you know, tell me more or keep talking. Well, what do you want? I want to understand you. Right. Keep talking and listen longer. That's what's so valuable and so honoring. You know, granted, if they're quiet and secure and self-smart, it might take them a while to get the details out. But um, try to not make them your assignment. Try to build relationship. And don't make it, oh, that happened to me when I was your age. Be really careful of hijacking their moment. Not that there isn't a place for you to share that it's relevant, but to be careful that they feel highly valued in those moments. So I, I hope that's helpful. There's, there's a lot more um, detail there. But don't, I want to say, you know, don't give up. Grand, grandchildren and children want to be known. They need to be known. Isaiah 43.1, God calls us by name. He knows us intimately. We crave relationship. We're we're created for vertical and horizontal connection. So don't give up. Keep listening and keep talking. Don't be afraid of silence. Um, Yeah, you can do this. You know, Wayne, I was just thinking, those listening in, uh, we've got a great resource for that, too, in our Let's Talk conversation cards. And there's... One side, the question for the grandkids to ask, grandma and grandpa. The other side, just the opposite. And so we're both asking questions, maybe just one. And I just leave them in the car and say, hey, let's talk, pick a question. And, um, and you're driving and you're interrupted from time to time. And like you said, it takes away some of the, the feeling of too intimate, <laughs> mm-hmm. too scary. Yeah. And just makes it a great little conversation that turns into big stuff. Yeah. Yep. It's a great resource. Nice job, John, with the plug. Uh, people can purchase those Let's Talk cards at LegacyCoalition.com. Just go to the store. Uh, something you, you mentioned, uh, Kathy, ab- about the way we communicate with our kids and grandkids is just reminded me how important it is to affirm even non-verbally, our our grandkids. I can still remember, and I've 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 shared this story with people many times. Is that when I was a kid, my dad would laugh at my jokes. I mean, 
my jokes were terrible, but uh, my dad would, would laugh. He thought I was funny. And, uh, you know, he called me in the room sometime and asked me to, uh, to tell a joke that I had told him, you know, to, come on in here, Wayne, tell those people the joke about the, about the guy that got off the airplane with a booger in his nose. You know? and so I'd tell that joke all over again and, and, and nobody, you know, nobody else was laughing, but my yeah. dad would laugh. And, it, and over time, just having a great audience like that to play to growing up just gave me a lot of confidence and no wonder I ended up doing what I do, you know, for a living and being up in front of people and so forth. Affirmation was just a very yeah. important uh, part of it all. And um, it's something that I think uh, grandparents can practice a lot more as well. Absolutely. I mean, look at, you know, who, what you're doing today. You know, and, and me and my grandfather, right? And then I was like the lead reporter for the Cousins Gazette. We had a little newspaper, my brother and his cousin did. And I was a lead reporter on election night and got to go with my little stemo pad and my sharp pencil and go interview people. And look what I do today. Today causes tomorrow. Childhood causes adulthood. And if you have dreams and aspirations for your grandkids, and I know you do, believe that you are making a difference today with their character, which is primarily important, what they choose to be motivated to be and do, these are critical things. It doesn't have to be about, you know, two plus two equals four. It's about who they are, who they think they are, who they believe they should and could and want to be, and who is God for them. And these are the kinds of beliefs that you influence through conversation and through um, shared memories and stories of how you have dealt with life. These are these are beautiful, beautiful moments where we can be influential. It's really a privilege. Yeah, you know, and it reminds me of uh, what's the saying: "Begin with the end in mind." Uh, I noticed in your book, uh, you, you talk a lot about the fact that we're raising adults. Uh -huh. You know, we're not raising uh, children; we're not raising teenagers. Yeah. We're raising adults that yeah. they're growing into uh, adulthood. Uh, it's, but we don't. It's harder today because we don't have those natural rites of passage. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, when I became a man, I put away childish things. And uh, he probably knew exactly when he became a man because of his bar mitzvah. He became a man and uh, a man and, and moved right into the company of the adults, and he learned how to, how to become an adult from the other adults. But uh, nowadays, it seems like, uh, you know, we're we're raising, you know, 35-year-old teenagers out there. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's harder for us to... to to see what our end goal really is 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 yeah. supposed to be all about. Oh, I could talk for hours. I I <laughs> I uh, I am chatty Kathy. Um, I I cr <laughs> you know I cringe when I see social media posts like I'm an adult today or I'm adulting today. Like yeah. oh my gosh. Um, so here's what's really awkward, guys. You know my ministry is called Celebrate Kids. We want children to be celebrated for who they are and not just for what they do. I would love for children to have a rich childhood where they play kickball and hopscotch and checkers and double solitaire with grandpa. And they learn how to cook chocolate chip cookies and eat a little bit of raw dough with their mom. I want boys to learn how to woodwork with dad at the woodworking bench. I want kids to have a childhood because it's a, it's a masterpiece that God, I mean, that God would create us with all these years to invest. Come on. And, and at the same time, I want parents and grandparents and others who raise children to have their eye on the future, to understand that today does matter. And we, oh my goodness, um, again, today matters, and without it, uh, the future won't be what it could be. Um, there's research that suggests that Kids who are motivated in the right direction value learning, they value themselves, and they believe in their future. And why would any kid today believe in their future? Because they have a grandparent who talks well about the future. And they don't overhear every conversation about the president and the news and the economy mm -hmm. and the guns and the abortion and all that's relevant. We, we have to raise kids to know what's going on or they won't know what to speak into. Like I said a little bit ago, we've got to be willing to talk to our kids about tough stuff, but not to the degree where they would believe that they're hopeless or that you're hopeless or that God doesn't know what's going on and doesn't care about the tomorrows. Um, yeah, I again, it's a balance, right? It's a balance. Excellent. Good stuff. 
Thank you, Kathy. Uh, let me just ask you one more question here, and uh, that is this. Uh, given that you're speaking at our, our conference this, uh, this fall at the Legacy Grandparenting Summit, uh, what exactly is a grandparent's role in raising resilient or compassionate, responsible, and brave kids? Um, you're going to be speaking to the grandparents at our summit conference. What would you say to them about their role? Wow. To support the parents which I know is hard in some cases, Mm -hmm. especially to support the parents in front of the grandchildren and to pray up a storm. You know, you might be the only spiritual leader that grandkid has right now. You pray up a storm. You read scripture and you personalize it with your grandson's name in it. You send notes. They love getting mail. You consistently are their advocate. You're for them, not against them. You build them up and you build up their parents because ultimately... Their parents matter, and you all know that. And I respect that sometimes that's hard when your own children have deviated from the way that you've raised them, and they're raising your grandkids in a way that you had never imagined. These are hard days. Don't give up. Pray up a storm. Support the parents. Get to know the kids. Um, Be the optimistic person who celebrates every chance you get so that they want to be with you. Good stuff. Words of wisdom. Thank you, Dr. Kathy. Friends, it's not too early to save the date on your calendar for the 2023 Legacy Grandparenting Summit. The dates are October 19th and 20th, and we have a great lineup of speakers that you won't want to miss, including Dr. Kathy Cook, Dr. Tony Evans, Dr. Crawford Loritz, uh, Dr. Mark Yarbrough, president of Dallas Seminary, uh, Walt Mueller, Hal Habecker, Coach Mike Singletary of the NFL, Dr. Ann Gillies, and much more. The summit is going to be held this year in Dallas, Texas at the Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship Church. And it's uh, once again going to be simulcast to a location near you. So if you'd like uh, for your church to be one of those uh, locations, a host site this year, there's still time to sign up for that. All the information is on our website LegacyCoalition.com slash summit. And that wraps up Legacy Grandparenting, the podcast of the Legacy Coalition. Thanks again to Dr. Kathy Cook for being our special guest. Until next time, this is Wayne Rice and John Cologne saying so long and praying that you have a great week of intentional Christian grandparenting.